What's going on, lovely people? Welcome to this week's episode of Total Pod Mode, number 78. My name is James, also known as Mr. Bames, and I'm joined, as always, by Will, also known as Hudafunk. What's going on, guys? Good to be back for another episode. Coming up this episode, we've got our usual catch-up. We've got the gaming news, where we got some biggies to talk about this week, some Microsoft news, some Disney news, and then some Mass Effect news, which is pretty heavy, man. It's going to be some good shit. Okay, oh, a lot to look forward to this week. We round up the episode with part two of Devil May Cry 5 in Completionist Corner. But before we get into all that, let's hit them socials. You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pod Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthroughs, stream highlights, as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode. You can also find us on X by searching for at Total Pod Mode, all one word. Or you can find me at Hoodafunk on X, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Hoodafunk. And you can find me on X at Mr. Bames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Bames on underscore tpm so man start with the catch-up as always what you've been playing this week uh, so this week is a bit of a combo from the last couple episodes uh, of the games i've been playing but i'll start off by talking a little bit more about tekken 8 which i've managed to put maybe a handful more hours into this week very nice very nice Still just been practicing, or have you migrated up to the online now? Uh, I haven't actually migrated over to the online still. Uh, my rank is still beginner. Although I have played a couple online games with my boy Liam, and uh, thoroughly getting my ass kicked because he plays a really mean king. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of command grabs and combo grabs that you can do from there in this game. Uh, and I can see that he's getting quite a bit of hate online for being a very difficult character to counter. But I really like his swag, it's got to be said. Yeah, shoutouts. Anyone that can use a king well is normally a bit of a handful so many counters just like grabbing you out the air power bombing you yeah all sorts absolutely. of crazy suplexes and shit it's really cool and i mentioned last week that i've been playing uh as azucena and victor a couple of new characters in the game this week i've actually kind of gone back a little bit gone back to my tekken 7 fave and uh been playing a little bit of paul and how's that going does he feel pretty similar yeah there is a lot of similarities there obviously with the burst moves that you can do to activate your heat mode like i was talking about last week and some of the heat slams that's all new stuff but plenty of his old bread and butter combos uh work well still uh you can still do his regular 10 here and various things like that i tell you what though one thing i didn't love about paul is his new skin uh his new character model for this game what's changed he's uh he's now kind of like a floppy haired hobo is is the only way i can describe floppy it floppy really. haired no yeah, no, it's, it's a big fall from that. grace. <laughs> Need that Johnny Bravo hairstyle. He needs his signature gelled up, combed flat top that he had before. Exactly, yeah. Needs yeah. to be there. Well, I am relieved to say that it is very much still possible to access that skin. And uh, I discovered that later on in the game. But you can also create character skins from the models that are in the game as well. So I touched on last week that I hadn't really played around with any of the character creator stuff. And as it turns out, you can't make your own complete custom character in Tekken. But what you can do is quite heavily modify the existing characters in the game instead. Uh, similar to like you could do certainly in Tekken 7. I don't know if it's in any of the other ones. I think it first died in like Tekken 4 or something, but wasn't like a major feature. Yeah, this system is much more advanced. You can make some very uh, interesting looking characters. Um, I think I mentioned last week there's a really cool looking big boss uh, character and there is a character that's perfectly built for it because they kind of crawl along the stage as their entrance into the fight as well so oh, nice. it's just kind of like a pairing made in heaven but uh yeah i've seen some really 
interesting and funny character designs as well. I haven't really mucked around with any of that myself, but I did get into it because immediately I needed to make sure that I was able to change Paul to look more like one of his classic skins, and thank God it was possible. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, yeah, floppy head Paul, that, that's just... No. <laughs> yeah, sacrilege, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can't be done. Just blasphemy! But I've just been having a fun time whacking out the old sticks and getting used to doing some of those combos, figuring out a few launchers and combos to roll into it, trying to get into the habit of doing some punishers as well in the game and just getting the hang of some more advanced fighting techniques. Yeah, and probably trying to integrate those heat combos into your sort of pre-established muscle memory as well. Exactly that, yeah. If you can get a launcher into a heat combo or a smash or a finisher move after you've got your rage ready to go i think it's called your rage art if you activate that in the middle of a launcher combo it's just gonna go crazy nice what i will say about this game is that to get into some of the more advanced fighting techniques the game is very good at teaching you how to do things to the point where you can even watch replays of all of your fights and the game will literally pause the fight halfway through the replay and be like ah you could have done a punisher at that point by pressing these two buttons oh that's really cool the game will literally teach you how to play tekken uh, so as if you've got like a pro mentor yeah like a coach that's awesome <laughs> yeah i'd need that <laughs> it's fantastic it's such an amazing idea and you can do that not just for your own fights but you can also go online watch pro fights and watch the ai coach come in and uh, tell you what you did wrong at different points even in the professional fights as well so really really impressive stuff yeah that'd be like some fucking guy like coming up to aslan ash and being like oh mate you missed a combo there like oh shit <laughs> I've literally won the world title. What are you on about? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. Respect, though. That's such a cool feature. And it's probably a good way for like people to get better now that arcades aren't as big a thing, particularly in this country. 100%. I think it's definitely going to feed into a higher skill set of the online community. And that can only be a good thing. Uh, it's obviously going to be harder to get into for newer players, but with tools like that to help you along the way, it's going to make a big difference, I think. Being able to kind of focus on punishers and different combos that you could have done better is key to getting better at the game, so what better way than for a little message to come up every time you are f***ed up. <laughs> yeah, and that'd be really useful for someone like me who is sort of decent against the computer at Tekken because the computer is the computer, but as soon as you put me up against any sort of decent level human, I have the propensity to fall apart quite quickly. And just learning how to block certain moves or counter certain attacks. Or as you say earlier, like you're doing that combo. If you press this button here, you can actually extend that combo by, you know, five hits, let's say. Exactly. And that's significant. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So having all of that going on is only going to help you get into the online even more because you better believe that people are going to be doing all that stuff to you online. Oh, hell yeah, absolutely. So I'm having a real good time with that, but that wasn't the only game I played this week. The other game that I picked up this week, once again, was Power World. Yeah, I'm not surprised by this. <laughs> It's a really, really fun game, man, i got to say. Um, I've put in a bunch of hours since we last talked about it. I think we're approaching the sort of 40, 50 hour mark, maybe. Jeez, well, I think last time we spoke about it properly, you mentioned it was like 10, maybe. Yeah, that was about right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was pretty much just in the kind of a bit longer than a week. Good amount of time put into it then, but even more since then, probably kind of keeping up pace as well. And it has been a really fun experience. The majority of it, for me, is spent online. Uh, with a couple of buddies, uh, Liam and Jim. Shouts, boys. And we're just playing through and slowly advancing our society. You'll remember last week I was talking about pissing around in wood shacks and getting a little bit of a farm going. 
various things. Yeah, capturing humans, forcing them into servitude. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Minor events, minor events. Moved on to much, much bigger things now, man. Now we've got battery farms. <laughs> exactly that, man. I've got full assembly lines popping off. I've got PAL spheres uh, for the uninitiated. Those equate to Pokeballs. Uh, I've got like the advanced version of those legendary PAL spheres being churned out. So for the uninitiated, that's probably an ultra ball. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and those are all being churned out by uh, a very handy Pokemon in the game called Anubis. Oh, that's f***ing Lucario. Yeah. Okay, yeah, sweet. basically. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> for, the, for the uninitiated, that's Lucario. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been achieving this small army of Anubises or maybe Anubis by is the uh, plural i'm not sure i'll leave that up to the power world creators Lucarios. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh we've achieved that army by having a breeding pit that we use and you can chuck in a bunch of pals and they'll start producing eggs provided that you supply them with enough cake specifically cake specifically cake yeah it's the key ingredient okay. to reproducing in this game not food just cake cake food it's food cake did you mean the other cake no but as in you couldn't just chuck some berries in it has to be cake. no yeah 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 no the berries specifically have to be baked into a cake and iced yeah yeah absolutely for them to and be. iced of course the cake is iced <laughs> not savage oh, you know yeah these pals man they've got like sophisticated palettes need some icing they are pretty picky pals i will say that and through the process of breeding your pals, not only can you create new and interesting pals that will help you around your base, but you can also preserve certain stats and move them on to the next generation of pals. So pals, much like Pokemon, will have a variety of these kind of sub-attributes, and some of them will be detrimental, uh, like lazy or troublemaker or something like that. And some of them will be positive, like, uh, I don't know, stronghold strategist or logging champion or whatever like that. Like Or hard worker. Yeah, exactly. All that kind of stuff, yeah. So you eat the ones with negative traits and keep the ones with good traits to breed later. Exactly, man. It's like you stole the words from my mouth. Have you been playing Power World this week? <laughs> no. Oh, I just, okay. That would be my strat, that's all. <laughs> Yeah, so the moment that any of them start slacking off or something like that, the, the same rule does stay the same. We do immediately butcher them, or at least I butcher them. But for the most part, we have a very good team now. There's not really much need to, to butcher these hardworking, lucky Lucarios. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. And is lucky the equivalent of shiny? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Now, that sounds like pretty cool. I had read a bit about the breeding mechanic. Not like loads. I didn't know the cake thing. That's hilarious to me. Oh, man, I love the cake! But, uh, yeah, that's crazy. The, I didn't know there were traits on it. I, I thought you might have similar to Pokemon where, like, if the parent pal has, like, a really good, for example, attack stat, it could then be passed on. But I didn't know about lazy hardworking like that's yeah. that's kind of cool that's another dimension to it absolutely and and some of them can have real direct impacts as well like there's just speedy stat which means they move around a lot faster and if they're rideable then they move faster it's great that's class that yeah. so obviously if you want to have your best rideable pokemon in what? the game then that's the way to go i don't know if you know this i'm about to ask you if you've unlocked guns yet but do they have like sharpshooter makes them better at aiming or things like that that'd be cool do you know i haven't noticed any stat like that i've definitely seen stats that would influence how good they would be in combat but none that specifically say uh that they're good with guns necessarily okay what i will say is i have unlocked plenty of guns since the last time nice. i played my very first upgrade was a crossbow which i don't think you can really count as a gun but then i very quickly moved on to a pistol and at this point in the game it's even possible to get things like pump action shotguns assault rifles and 
I'm really struggling to see just how they're going to balance those in the game because they seem incredibly powerful fighting the bosses. I'm level 45 at the moment. The level cap is 50. And I'm kind of at a stage now where unless I'm fighting the hardest boss pals, they just get absolutely wiped. Even things like the sword are really powerful fighting some of the higher level bosses as well. And we're in this situation now where we've been playing around with the settings and we've actually tripled a lot of the bosses just because if you defeat them all, you get triple the amount of resources and things. Makes sense. But I've been able to solo certain bosses in the game just with nothing but a pistol and a sword. Nice. And do the boss stats scale because there's three of you playing? Or do they still sort of remain constant? No, so when you're playing the multiplayer, you do feel overpowered against the bosses anyway, which is kind of the reason why I suppose they included that feature for tripling the bosses to play with a larger squad. But I'm pretty sure that a lot of the bosses in the game are scaled for you to match their level and 1v1 them. I don't know whether they've really accounted for multiplayer in terms of difficulty of the game just yet. I think that that will come later when they introduce things like the raid dungeons and other stuff they've been talking about putting in. Makes sense. It's not even a month old yet, this game, or not quite very soon. So, yeah, there's plenty to still to come, I'm sure. Still early access, so all very promising sounding stuff, man. Absolutely, man. Uh, I'm having an absolute blast with my low-level eugenics and uh, slave mongering. It's, uh, it's great stuff. Our world, 10 out of 10. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Couldn't ask for more. And uh, with that, I guess that's all I've really got for this week. So uh, what about you? Have you been up to much? Unfortunately, I think I'm going to be quite boring again for the third week in a row. Oh, geez. I've played more Baldur's Gate 3. And, you know, not to say I haven't done a lot. I've still achieved a lot. But it's all just been tidying up in the final act, really. I think I've done all the side quests now. I think I've done all the companion quests that I can do now. I've seen some very, very cool things. There's one in particular. There's a character you meet in the game called Raphael. He's a devil. And, you know, I won't go into his various dealings because it's, you know, where have you heard this line before? But it's part of the main quest but his boss fight is hilarious if you choose to accept it it's so i was gonna say you didn't talk your way around this one like uh some of the others no 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 i i I could have done and i I didn't even have to go fight him but i thought experience all the content right his level's great you go to his house in hell it's called the house of hope that's deceiving a little bit yeah but there is a character in there called hope who you can save if you want so it kind of makes sense Uh, it's meant to be an ironic title because who has hope in hell right but uh you know, I won't go into exactly what you do in the house, but the, the, this guy, Raphael, is just so self-centered. You meet a pleasure demon in there, and it's a clone of him, because that's <laughs> what he thinks would be pleasurable. Yeah, he's a little bit uh, narcissistic there, perhaps. Oh, very. He's brilliant. Brilliant character. And he's the only character I've met so far in the game who has his own boss music that he sings. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Full on karaoke we've got going on in Baldur's Gate as well. It's brilliant. And there's so many little touches to it because he's a devil. He's got 666 health. Of course. Naturally. I didn't know this, but shout out to my mate George. He told me if you silence him during the boss battle, you know, silence so he can't use any magic. Yeah. He stops singing. Okay. Brilliant. Lovely little touch. And there was an aspect to this fight. There's a character that comes in who I have met before. You may remember me talking about the guy that I convinced to kill himself and all his friends. Yes. Yeah. 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 He was there because he was a demon. Okay. uh, I managed to convince him to join my side in the fight. Nice. Nice. So that was pretty cool. That's really cool stuff, man. They've even figured out a way for you to get back and have an ongoing storyline with a character that literally died. Yeah, well, he's a demon, right? So It's it's really cool. I like that. I kind of felt like... when you talked about that quest line earlier, that it felt a bit flat for him to just die, like everyone dies. It's like, oh, 
everyone dies. There's not really much to it. But the fact that they brought him back, that really, you know, that's the kind of payoff that you want to see from that sort of thing. Exactly. And because I convinced him to join my cause and he survived the boss fight, he is now an ally for another fight. Amazing. Potentially further down the line. That's really cool. Because similar to Mass Effect 3, the, the basic premise of Act 3 in this game is do your sh- you've got to do for your main quest but also get loads of allies for the final final fight okay so i've i've got a whole bunch of allies i've been collecting them he's now one of them which is going to be interesting can't wait to see how the final fight pans out because the main quest has sort of evolved into some quite harrowing stuff but also some really cool stuff Uh, it's an amazingly told story particularly like just in the guise of dungeons and dragons it's amazing it really is i think that the way you've pressed through the game given the pace that you've set yourself now that's probably helped you to kind of keep the story consistently told sort of thing and really engaged with it because uh you know i think we both have that tendency to like play first the first couple of missions and then disappear off into the world of side missions for 10 hours before you even pick up the quest that's very much my situation in cyberpunk right now yeah and it's my situation in every single rpg ever It's, it's, (laughs) it's not good but i love it so I'm not going to ever change, probably. But, you know, with this game specifically, I did Act 1 three times, pretty much in its entirety with various different characters. And that slowed my, down my progress. But now that I've gotten back into it all, like Act 2 was done very quickly. Act 3, I'm going at a decent pace. If I had a free weekend coming up, or this comes out on a Monday, if, if this weekend just gone had been free... I would probably finish it. I think I'm on that sort of pace, but because I'm not going to have a free weekend, I don't think I'll finish it this weekend. I might finish it in the week, who knows? But um, I'm certainly no more than two weeks away from finishing it now if I keep on the current pace, which is a good thing because there's a game on sale in Steam currently that I'm probably going to pick up because it's a reasonable price. Oh, really? Do tell. Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Oh, okay. You're finally delving in. Have there reported issues with the performance on PC? cleared up yet have you got any confirmation of that is it sitting on mostly positive now it is it's it's like mixed overall but recent reviews are mostly positive and it's a high enough quantity that i'm prepared to give it a punt particularly at 25 quid hey i mean the worst you can do is play it for a couple hours and if it really is performing like a piece of shit then just refund it exactly so i'm thinking about that but i do have a rough roadmap in my head about what i want to do next and survivor would kind of knock that out a little bit yeah because i think it's been long enough now since i played liza p that once i finish Baldur's Gate, I think it's time I go to Lords of the Fallen and give that a proper go. Yes, I did wonder when you were going to get back into that. Yeah, because the reason I didn't play it initially was because I'd just come off the back of Liza P and it just would have been unfair. <laughs> and then, of course, I, as I've been saying, I wanted to wait for them to actually finish doing the majority of the um, additional content they were releasing for. And they're still releasing patches, sure, but it's now quality of life stuff. It seems like most of the new missions and new items and things they've added. So I think that we're getting to the point where it's now time for me to go play that. But... I'm not deviating. I will finish Baldur's Gate 3 first. It's been an absolute blast. You have to get it. You really do. You were waiting for someone who actually played it to get an opinion. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm telling you now you'll love it. Yeah, I'm sure I will. My only piece of advice, which you know anyway, um, is just for the first playthrough, just pick a character and stick with it. Don't do what I did. I 100% will. Yeah, this time, no messing around. I think I'm kind of past that stage, mostly because I just don't have the time to do that anymore. Yeah, that's the thing, right? (laughs) I don't have the time that I'd want to uh, sort of explore three simultaneous playthroughs like I might have done back in the day. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I can recommend Bard. It's a very, very fun playthrough for getting the grips on it because you have all the skills. You can, you're a charisma-based class, so you can do all the persuasion stuff. And you have all these cool outcomes that you can get, like I've spoken about briefly. There's so much more that I haven't discussed, but it is very fun. But any class is great, I'm sure. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned the classes. I, I was actually... Uh 
kind of getting to a situation where I noticed that a lot of people go for high charisma checks and it's invaluable in that game to be able to pass a lot of your persuasion, charms, intimidations, all of those sorts of scenarios in the game. I gotta say I'm actually quite tempted though to just play a fairly normal class without too much of high charisma. I still want there to be a chance in it because from what I've seen if you spec into chance heavily enough you're gonna pass that thing like more than half the time easily, much more than even 75% of the time I think given the potential bonuses. So I don't kind of want to end up in that scenario on my first playthrough. That'll probably come with the second one where I'm like, okay, this time everything happens perfect. So <laughs> I want to fail and see what happens. Yeah, a very, very fair because the outcomes will be hilarious, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm already thinking that my second playthrough is probably going to be, it's definitely evil. Definitely <laughs> evil. I'm so glad I did good first, but it's definitely evil. And I'm either going to be a monk or a fighter, I think. Just go completely the opposite direction. Just have basically a combat class because I'm just going to tell everyone to f*** off. Like That's going to be my new character. <laughs> well, who knows? That may well still have consequences that affect your playthrough further down the line as well. I was going to say, and it almost certainly will because the amount of allies that I can pick up for the final fight will almost certainly be diminished. So that will be very interesting to see how that goes down. But as I say, a little bit boring because it's the same game for the third week in a row that I'm talking about. But that is all I've played um, other than Devil May Cry 5, which we'll get onto later. So I think that about does it for the catch up this week. So why don't we move on to the gaming news? So with our first news story this week, we got some Microsoft announcements. We start off with some unfortunate news from Microsoft as more employees are affected by the recent trend of layoffs at major companies. So not a nice start. Once again, we're hearing more news of layoffs. So according to an article from GameRant, 86 employees at Skylanders Toys for Bob and 76 workers at Sledgehammer Games are the latest to be impacted. So whilst not to the same level as recent numbers we've discussed, it is still not nice to see and shows that this layoff epidemic is continuing into 2024. We're only a month two after all. So our thoughts as always go out to all those affected. It's one of those points where I've even started to hear that uh, Microsoft are getting quite a bit of slack for this for the fact that on merging some of their larger acquisitions uh, like Activision and Blizzard they did suggest that positions would be safe and it seems quite quickly after actually making uh, these big buys that that didn't quite work out to be true. Um, they've never explicitly said that you know obviously no one needs to worry about redundancy or layoffs or whatever but at the same time Phil has gone on record to say that he would be looking after the future of all of the staff there and just that kind of like all-inclusive term all of the staff there was kind of clearly supposed to be putting people's minds at ease it's uh, it's a shame that this hasn't worked out it is a shame um, unfortunately that's the corporate world there I'm not justifying it but that's it's just weird what it is however whilst not wanting to diminish the negativity um, and sort of gloss over the fact that there have been more layoffs this isn't the biggest news to come out of Microsoft this week. According to an article from The Independent, Microsoft is about to share a major announcement about its vision for the future of Xbox. Okay, right. well, they've clearly shifted around a bit now and they're ready to, I guess, issue a statement. So this has come about amid fresh speculation over whether the company is about to make a major change to its relationship with rival consoles. Microsoft Gaming head honcho Phil Spencer did not specifically link the announcement to these reports. However, he did appear to suggest that it was the result of questions and speculation, which have largely related to the expectation that Xbox games might be coming to other platforms at some point. Yeah, the rumour mill has been buzzing about uh, Halo coming to PlayStation, Sea of Thieves ending up on the Nintendo Switch. Yeah, all of the above and more. <laughs> um, so Spencer writes, We're listening and we hear you. We've been planning a business update event for next week, 
this week at the time of this podcast releasing, where we look forward to sharing more details with you about our vision for the future of Xbox. Stay tuned. So, this is an interesting statement because he hasn't just outright gone out to deny any of the rumours that are going around. What's your take on that? Do you think that he's just kind of being a bit of a hype hoarder there and trying to get people excited for this upcoming vision for the future of Xbox? Or do you think that this is a case where he's actually got something legitimately planned that does match some of these rumours? I think it could potentially be a bit of both. (laughs) We're going to get Sea of Thieves on the Switch, but no Halo on PlayStation 5. No, so the reason I say this is because a lot of the speculation was prompted in part by the discovery of game files that suggest titles such as Starfield, Hi-Fi Rush, the upcoming Indiana Jones game, which has a ridiculous name, I can't remember what it is, but... And Sea of Thieves would be coming to other platforms, as you say, such as the Nintendo Switch and also the PlayStation 5. Yeah. But I do think it's slightly reactionary. I think that the event planned for next week might be as a result of, like, these leaks, these game files, like, being found. Okay, okay. And he feels the need to address it quickly. But what also makes it interesting is that um, Spencer has also commented recently and in the past that he doesn't consider Sony and Nintendo to be his major competitors. He sees Xbox's main competitors being Amazon, Netflix, other tech giants like that, Google. Well, I mean, yeah, Microsoft is. No, but he's specifically saying Xbox. Yeah, I know, I know, yeah. A little grandiose, perhaps. Maybe, but could it mean with xCloud being what it is, that this announcement could be that they're moving more into a streaming space. Are you suggesting that the vision for the future of Xbox might not actually include a physical Xbox anymore? Potentially, dude. I'm not sure about a physical Xbox, that might still be a thing, but potentially an Xbox app that just basically becomes the Games Pass app, if you like. Mm, mm. So you install it on your PlayStation, you install it on your PC, you install it on your smart TV, you install it on whatever, and play Games Pass games through that, stream to your TV or whatever, whilst also simultaneously being able to purchase said games on other mediums. So you might be able to, like in the example of Starfield, let's say, it'll be Games Pass day one, right? But you might be able to still pick it up on PlayStation and play it natively on that. And the sort of trade-off would be you have to pay full price for Starfield on PlayStation, right? But Xbox would then be like, you could do that. Or you can still come over to Xbox and just buy Games Pass and you can have all these games on day one. Yeah. So it's a very interesting potential ploy he's playing here. And... I don't really know how I feel about it. It's an interesting one, uh, and it's an interesting plan. What I will say, though, is it only works if the other side is willing to play ball as well. Is PlayStation going to allow something Xbox on their app? It's almost hard to believe for me that even opening Starfield... Uh, they would flash up an Xbox splash screen uh, on your PlayStation console. It's a weird future we're going to be living in when that marks the day. And it also potentially means that you could have ads in your Xbox games on another console. So I'm sitting there playing Starfield on my PlayStation in the loading screen. Why not buy Games Pass? You know? <laughs> Who knows? But the other thing to consider about this, though, that also makes it a risky strategy, if it is, in fact, what they're going to announce, is that if they go to a streaming model, it's going to suffer the same issues that we've discussed previously with Stadia. People's internet needs to be at a certain level for certain games, particularly newer games, newer AAA games specifically, to run effectively and efficiently. Or any game that requires specific timing. I mean, we're talking about things like Tekken and, interestingly, Devil May Cry, 
all of those games require quite quick reactions and control over your character. So imagine trying to play those over a streaming platform with your crappy internet. It'd be terrible. Exactly. And we've already discussed in previous episodes when discussing Stadia that even in like highly developed countries like the United States, the UK, the, the basic standard level of internet isn't great. You know, obviously there's going to be outliers where some have amazing internet and it'll work, but overall the quality of the infrastructure is not good enough to support potentially thousands, millions of people streaming loads of games. Yeah. I still don't see how that's going to work. That's still a major barrier to entry for me. Both for reason in terms of server capacity, uh, given, you know, that we have game releases that get crumpled by even just a small section of gaming fans all going nuts for a title. Exactly. But also just because of, for reasons in the long term, of infrastructure in the homes is the the majority of the homes in England uh, for the majority of the population I think don't have suitable internet for that sort of thing I feel like as you said there's like hotspots in the areas of the country that all do have super fast fiber optic broadband there's plenty of areas that don't or don't have the speed to at least match up to what's needed to properly stream a game but even if it's not the streaming thing that might just be speculation because they're linking themselves to companies like amazon and netflix right but can you imagine a day where you've got xbox exclusives on the playstation and could that potentially lead in the future to playstation reciprocating could we see a day where you have playstation exclusive games on an xbox that's an interesting take this article makes me more question whether they're going to go through some sort of sega style reinvention where rather than actually having a proprietary console for all of your first party games that they will actually kind of go into more the software production and streaming services as you hinted out there i can see that being the more likely future but i'll be really interested to hear what this announcement's got in store yeah, so stay tuned for that. I'm sure that we'll be discussing it when uh, Spencer finally comes out and tells us what his plan is for the future. So from one potentially landscape-changing news item to another, our second news story today is that Disney and Epic Games have teamed up. My god, we're on a roll with big announcements this week. So according to an article from Game Ramp Once More, Disney and Epic Games have announced a new landmark partnership linking brands like Marvel and Pixar to Fortnite and the Unreal Engine. Epic Games has collaborated with other top brands in the past, but this new relationship with Disney appears to be far more robust and encompassing. Yeah, I mean, they only got Lego, like, very recently. So to now suddenly jump into Disney, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, there is a little bit of previous, because they've had the Mandalorian and stuff like that featured. They've absolutely had Star Wars tie-ins and and other things as well, but this is big. This is going to be much bigger. This is like a true collaboration rather than almost like a feature. Oh, dude, yeah. I mean, because corroborating what I've just said is an article from The Gamer stating that Disney is investing $1.5 billion into Epic Games as part of an effort to create a new persistent universe. So do you reckon they're fobbing off EA then? They're going to no longer work with EA to produce uh, Star Wars titles. This may well be just a whole new thing with Epic Games instead. No, I I think this is much bigger than a couple of Star Wars games. The article continues, first reported by CNBC, Disney states that it is working with Epic Games to bring the company's beloved brands to Fortnite as part of a new universe that will include places to play, watch, shop and engage with characters and stories from Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars and Avatar. Basically, imagine what Disneyland is right now, cram it into Fortnite, and that's essentially what Epic and Disney are working towards. Right. Yeah, that sounds like a good analogy there. Yeah, like a a Disneyland within Fortnite. 
Fortnite's had events previously, but this sounds like the whole next level of that. Oh, dude, it goes on, right? Disney CEO Bob Iger has said, Our exciting new relationship with Epic Games will bring together Disney's beloved brands and franchises with the hugely popular Fortnite in a transformational new games and entertainment universe. And Epic Games CEO Tim Sweeney has said in the past that he would like to turn Fortnite into a more social, metaverse-esque platform, as proved by various music concerts and other events taking place in Fortnite over the years as well mentioned there so do we think that this deal marks the first steps towards making the fortnite verse i think it's got every chance that it does i think disney has kind of experimented with doing things like this themselves in the past having some sort of digital realm of characters so i can see this absolutely being a thing and with disney you're getting a whole bunch of ips that you've just listed there it's not just your daffy ducks and your mickey mouses and your goofies anymore uh it's really popping off in terms of all the properties that disney now has under its umbrella yeah and are continuing to make i mean if you can put an ed sheeran gig in fortnite and have people literally there listening to it live in fortnite right imagine what you could do with the Star Wars universe, you could have giant space battles. You could do Comic-Con inside Fortnite with all of these like franchises. I mean, the scope of what this could potentially be is quite staggering. And $1.5 billion is a load of money, right? And Epic Games have a load of money already. Like, this could be something pretty special. It could also be a pile of utter shit. Yeah, I, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm just as willing to believe both sides of that coin. Because on the other hand, while all of this stuff sounds very, you know, epic and could have all sorts of implications, it doesn't appeal to me. I can see where the appeal would be for this type of product, though, absolutely. And I can absolutely see this being popular. If people are willing to put down their guns for a second, stop with their quick builds, and... Take the time to actually experience this sort of thing. Uh, this could either be really cool or just really boring. I really don't know. I'm with you in that I'm not necessarily excited about this for me. I'm excited about it for what it could do to the gaming landscape, though. I mean, as you say, like using the Ed Sheeran gig example again, I wouldn't want to go see one of my favourite bands in Fortnite, right? I'd rather go see them live. Of course. I yeah. want to be there in person and, and, and experience that shit. But for the younger generation people who are more into this sort of thing. The scope of what could be possible with this is pretty insane. Yeah, I guess all we can do is uh, wait and find out what they've actually got in store for this. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing an announcement, hopefully a follow-up with some more specifics. Yeah, and some dates. I would hasten to add, this probably isn't going to happen overnight, right? We're probably talking years. No, yeah, absolutely. Multiple years, but the fact that this is being looked at and the franchises that are potentially involved in this as part of the Disney factor. Some cool stuff could be on the way, but as Will says, I guess we'll have to wait and see. And continuing this hard-hitting news day, Will, I've saved the most important and hard-hitting story for last. Are you ready for this one? Give it to me. Mass Effect is releasing a cocktail book. Oh, damn. Okay, well... I don't know about this cocktail book. I've got to say, <laughs> I, I found that um, the cocktails in Mass Effect, uh, they say that they're going to make you shit your guts out and hallucinate and stuff. But I drank a lot of shots at the bar in the Citadel and uh, I never never had any issue standing and leaving. Yeah, but that was Commander Shepard. That's true. That's not like a normal person. Right? I am not a Commander Shepard in terms of my drinking. That's for sure. Is anyone really? I mean, Commander no. Shepard's technically dead. He will drink you under the table. Or she. 
in your case. But all joking aside, the first two stories we've covered today could change the landscape of gaming for years to come, so I thought that we'd end the news today with something fun, uh, inspired in part by our recent completion of the Mass Effect trilogy. So a Mass Effect cocktail book will be releasing later this year, featuring recipes for more than 70 different drinks, all of which have been inspired by Bioware's Mass Effect universe. I promise you this is a real thing, I I'm not making this up. I hope we get to see some of the actual uh, drinks in the game, or kind of supposed recreations of uh, the actual drinks in the game, rather than just being like... I don't know, the Caden Kalua or whatever, you know, like I want to I mean, there's going to be a load of WKD Blue being used to make <laughs> some of these drinks, that's all I say. So this book will be published by Insight Editions, and a tagline in the article from The Gamer reads, The recipes are designed to make the drinkers of these beverages feel as if they're patrons in Omega's Afterlife Club or kicking back in the Dark Star Lounge on the Citadel. Do you want to see whether uh, you can guess any of the cocktail titles that might be coming up? Shep on the beach. Shep on the beach. Nice. <laughs> Citadel Cosmo. I'm trying to think of some cocktail names. <laughs> the White Thessian. Yeah, yeah. What else could there be? There's got to be something with Asari. Campari Asari? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Asari Campari. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's all sorts that it could be. But, you know, as I say, this is a real thing. The book is due to release on the 22nd of October 2024 and can already be pre-ordered on Amazon. So if you're jonesing for more Mass Effect content and can't wait for the next game in the franchise, why not make the wait more bearable by getting pissed as if you're in the Mass Effect universe yourself? Sounds good, and uh, you need to be hammered if you're going to play Mass Effect Andromeda, so knock yourself out. You're drunk already, aren't you, buddy? So with that hard-hitting news story to finish off, that does bring us to the end of the news for this week, so now it's about time we moved on to Completionist Corner. <laughs> So we pick up the tale this week having finally bested our story's antagonist, the wannabe Demon King Horizon. Being the cowardly heel that he is, he escaped his doom via a portal, leaving our heroes, Dante, Nero and V, in a throne room inside the Clyphoff tree. In the aftermath of the battle, its size has increased significantly, and all the human blood that's been consumed by it has spawned a fruit which imbues a demon with divine power. One of our party, Trish, states that even Mundus needed this fruit to become the king of the underworld back in the day. The fruit being in Urizen's hand can only mean trouble. Our resident mechanic, Nico, arrives at this point in typically tardy style as our heroes lick their wounds. A starstruck Nico reveals to Dante that she is, in fact, the granddaughter of Nell Goldstein, the creator of his iconic pistols, Ebony and Ivory, before offering him a gift. And this gift is ridiculous. It's f***ing stupid, but in the best possible way. She basically gives him a cowboy hat with some sort of demon teeth, like, in the, the rim. Yeah, yeah. Looks fairly innocuous. Completely innocuous. When this first came out, I was like, what the f*** are you doing? Why are you giving him a hat? What's that going to do? Okay. And Dante looks at it with similar disdain, like, what is this? What have you done? And almost as if by itself, by magic, it does that twirly thing and goes on his head. Yeah. <laughs> Some red, like, scarf slash arms come out of the back and sort of drape over Dante's shoulders. Yeah, it's almost like a gunslinger scarf sort of thing yeah and we're treated to what can only be described as a michael jackson parody Yeah, yeah, crotch grabbing, moonwalking, yowing. The occasional 
it's all there. It's all there, man. It's just it's just all ridiculous. And yeah, yeah. Honestly, there was something you said to me last week that made this hilarious to me. You said last week, I think on the podcast, but if not, certainly off pod, that I have to think of this game more like an anime. Yes. <laughs> yes. You can't take this game too seriously. No. It is basically an anime. <laughs> yes. And if you hadn't said that, I think I'd have hated this. <laughs> but because you said that, I fucking love this. <laughs> Oh, I cracked brilliant. up. I loved seeing Dante pull off a completely impromptu Michael Jackson dance routine. Yeah, and because it's the first thing you see after, like, where we cut off last week, this is the first thing you see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The Clyphoff tree has just revealed itself in its entirety. Anyway, Dante, do the moonwalk. Exactly. Oh, man, I, I fucking loved this. And what makes this even better is this is actually a weapon that you can use. Uh, it's called Dr. Faust's hat, or Force, I don't know how you pronounce it. And essentially, whilst wearing it, you deal increased damage and various other buffs at the cost of red orbs that are constantly draining whilst you use it. It's kind of like you're firing the red orbs at the character. So it kind of works like um, a money gun in other games where you like get this powerful weapon but it costs you gold. A little bit, yeah. yeah okay, fair, because I didn't use this. Like, I thought it was hilarious but I didn't use it because I was like, nope, not spending my currency on it. I unfortunately didn't get as much time uh, with this weapon as I'd have liked. I, I think it's a little bit of a theme with Dante in some of these closing sections is as I mentioned last week, he is the king of variety. He has so many tools and so many different things he can do with them. He is absolutely the hardest character to learn because it feels like his variation on all the different moves is so much broader than Nero's and V's combined in some cases. A thing is about this weapon as well is that obviously it does cost you currency to use. However, you can get a payout by using the weapon in a different way as well. There's a special ability where you can actually earn those coins back and actually earn money overall. And part of that involves you actually putting the same cowboy hat on the enemies as well. So while you're attacking them, they're wearing the hat. Oh, please tell me they start dancing when he puts it on. <laughs> they don't Michael Jackson dance, sadly. Aww. They still carry on their attack, but it's just the sign that in that stage, uh, you're going to get your coins back. I think that's how it works anyway. Uh, in my limited time that I used it, I'm pretty sure that's how it works. A hilarious start. And uh, after Dante's tribute to Michael Jackson, it is decided that Dante, Nero and V should all make their way to the Clyforth Tree Summit separately in pursuit of Urizen. And uh, so here we get to our first mission. So in this mission, uh, we're still in the Clyforth Tree. Ironically, considering we're about to start climbing to the top, the first thing we do is all jump down. I don't quite know how that works. They do explain it. It's the weird physics in the Clyphoff tree. It's because we're technically going into the underworld to get to the head. It's like a whole upside down situation thing going on. It was bizarre, but a lot of this game was bizarre. So it's <laughs> yeah. nothing out of the ordinary here. Don't, don't think too much about it. No, exactly. I, I, honestly, that, that anime comment you made last week has changed my outlook on this game quite significantly. <laughs> and uh, what was cool about this level is that you can actually pick which of the three characters you want to be. You can, for the first time. For the first time and the last time, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Yes, that's true. I chose V because... That's my favourite playstyle in this game. Who did you pick for this? Um, tempted as I was to go for Nero, because I, I do think he's actually growing to be my favourite character to play in the game as I'm getting more and more used to playing him. But I did go for Dante just because I was trying to get as much time as possible with that character because there's so many weapons that he has that I felt like I still hadn't quite got on the grasp of. And I had a good feeling that I was going to be playing as Nero for some of the later parts of this game anyway, by default. Uh, so, yeah, I stuck with my man Dante. Fair enough. Did you get a lot more use out of the motorbike? The Cavalier? I 
did get a bunch of use out of the motorbike. Yeah, I'd unlocked some very crazy moves by the end of that. The juggling that you can do with that weapon is incredible. And I even discovered some new tech, which actually involves when you're doing the donuts and spins to hit enemies. If you leave the weapon without pressing another button, it will hit the enemy. And then sort of the move just keeps on going, keeps on hitting. And it will freeze the enemy in place. You'll freeze in place and you'll just keep doing damage for a few more seconds. And at that point, it actually charges your motorbike so your next move is more powerful. So there is a charge system in this game as well if you can pack the hits in. There is a lot of tech going on with some of his moves with that motorbike. And uh, yeah, as I say, I still, even with that weapon, feel like I didn't get the amount of time I wanted with it. This is just such a game that you are obviously intended to play through multiple times. Oh yeah, you're meant to do four playthroughs. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, and I can see why. Not too much else to call out on this mission, really, except for we do get introduced to our final new enemy or our new new mob enemy. We get some new bosses, obviously, uh, which is called the Lusatcha. And this thing is basically a giant slug-looking floaty mass with multiple mouths on it. And uh, they all produce electricity. And it just sort of floats in the air, flies at you. I think it can teleport a little bit as well. They're not particularly aggressive, though, are they? They tend to just kind of hang around in the background, really. Yeah, I think that they may even be like support characters almost, but they they were quite squidgy. They went down quite quickly in my experience. And honestly, I don't recall them being involved too much outside of this mission. But to be honest, by the end of the game, all the enemies were looking sort of not the same because they are are clearly different. They're just coming thick and fast. Exactly. Yeah. Earlier parts of this game, they kind of stagger the enemies coming in. You'll fight like a handful of light ones and then you might get a couple heavies or whatever. Yeah. This is just kind of a mix. They're pitting you against multiple different types all at once to test you a bit more. Yeah. But what was cool about this going off a point you made last week is um, the network play stuff. Yes. Did you enable it this time around? I didn't enable it, no. But what I did notice um, in later missions, to be fair, because as we're about to get into over the course of the next like few missions we discuss you actually play through all of their routes kind of you do, after yeah. a certain point and you can actually see the other guys sort of around you in you different parts of the Clyfoth. and what was happening in mine was where in yours it probably came up on the little side saying starring so and so other player right yes for me it was starring the dmc crew but later on, once I'd done some of the other missions, it would say starring Mr. Bames. Ah, right, okay. I would be playing alongside my previous ghosts from the other levels I did. That's kind of neat. That's very nifty, okay. No boss in this level. This was just the sort of standard level. I really enjoyed this mission as well, particularly for the net play thing. Because I was playing with actual real players, I was getting to see some of the combat and different play styles that I hadn't actually encountered in the game yet. Probably players playing with much more optimised movesets than what I was opting for in the game. But it just felt really cool to actually be fighting alongside online players, even if it was quite brief through this section. Yeah, it's a cool feature, that. Anyway, as we mentioned last week, V was created from the demon half of Virgil, Dante's twin brother, to remove the hindrance of human thoughts and emotions in the pursuit of ultimate power. As a result of this splitting process, V, by this point, is visibly disintegrating and becoming weak. Got a real nasty case of dandruff. Yeah, sort of full-body, crumbly-faced dandruff. Yeah, it's like also cracking like porcelain. Damn. During his individual journey to the Clyphoff Summit, V passes out due to his affliction, and the free-headed demon Malthus looms over him. And if you remember from last week, this is the demon that was having a little chat with the Cavalier Knight uh, that we actually defeated and got the motorbike form from Dante. 
one of the kind of secondary big bads of this game, Malthus is really. She's in allegiance, I guess, with Horizon. Kind of like second-in-command vibes I was getting. Yeah, that's it. At this point, V is transported to an illusionary world and has his three pets, Griffin, Shadow and Nightmare, taken away from him, making him completely powerless and unable to attack. Yeah, they did my boy Dirty here and... Uh... Actually, this was quite irritating. This next sort of level bit was, um, I, I've, I've called it Malthus's Illusion. And you're basically in a sort of illusionary world, as Will says, and there's three doors in front of you. That's right. That you have to go through, each representing one of your three pets. And if you just hold down run, V will eventually sort of stutter to a stop and have a little rest, and it was really annoying. This was very annoying, yeah. But you can circumvent it by just jumping. You can do, but I was still getting it. I mean, I didn't get it. I wasn't able to completely circumvent it. No, I was... I mean, i got to say, maybe I didn't try just mashing jumping constantly, but I was jumping around a lot, hoping it would make a difference. But he kept on hitting the ground and looking all exhausted again. No, if you mash jump, it seems to work for me. Okay, good. (laughs) Yeah, not useful to you now, but... (laughs) And because your body's been taken away, you can't even use that cool running surfing move that he gets by using the panther to uh, kind of glide him along the floor. Exactly. It was very painful, this. And basically, the idea of this mission is that you go through each one of the portals, and at each portal you go through, you're presented with the option of which one of your pets you want to get back first. Now... I'll let you go first in telling me which one you went for first, because I made a massive boo-boo with this. Okay, I have a feeling that I might have known what boo-boo uh, you actually, you might have gone for there. Have a feeling. <laughs> um, I went for the panther in this one, because first of all... The correct just, choice. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted my melee attack back. It is your bread and butter attack in the game. I like to think of the panther as the equivalent of Nero or Dante's sword or primary weapon, and the bird is the equivalent of their guns. Uh, And they function very similarly in terms of the combat. So, yeah, I just couldn't imagine playing the game through without my sword. So, panther it was. Yes, and I didn't know what was coming up. So I stupidly, and it was stupid, I picked Nightmare first. I, yeah. (laughs) You picked your ultimate, so you've got nothing but your ultimate. Exactly. I I almost did as well, man. You know, it's one of your strongest, heaviest attacks in the game. It's going to be good. But what I didn't realise was that when you pick each weapon or pet that you get back, you actually have to then fight a boss. <laughs> yes, yeah, one of the previous bosses in the game. I don't know if it was different for you, it probably wasn't, but the three bosses I got was um, Goliath, big teeth belly boy. That's right. Artemis, the kind of flying mermaid lady that we spoke yep. about last week. And then Cavalier Angelo, the the knight that yes. we were talking about just now. And I had to fight Goliath with just my ultimate. Yeah, you're going to have a hard time. And Nightmare is very slow as well, and his tracking isn't amazing. And yeah, for all of those reasons, this is going to be a tough fight. So what were you doing? Just having to like take hits, basically, to charge up your Devil Trigger and keep on pulling Nightmare in? Take hits, read the poetry book. Of course, of course. Lots of poetry reading, a little bit of William Blake. I think I was actually able to defeat him in one, maybe two rounds of Nightmare. So it wasn't like I had to do it loads. No, that's something at least. Because it's worth noting that these illusion bosses that you fight, they don't have as much health as the original yeah or didn't seem to but yeah it was a bit painful this and i was i was like how did i not see this gimmick coming because that's what this level is isn't it really it's the closest this game has to a gimmick level where you're stripped of all your powers and need to make a choice exactly and uh as soon as i picked it i knew i was being an idiot but uh, it worked out um my second choice was then obviously shadow the panther yeah finally finishing off with griffin the, the bird Uh, and uh, by that point you have full power. And because we've already fought these bosses, I I knew what to expect. It wasn't Mm. too bad. Mm. But yeah, 
bit of a boo-boo that from me you moron I'm, I'm assuming it was much easier for you having picked the melee weapon first uh yes yeah absolutely yeah it was a lot more straightforward definitely um yeah having the panther to start yourself off with is yeah seems to be like the sensible choice to make yeah oh yeah fucking logical mate i respect it wish i had a brain but we persevered and once the three illusion bosses have been defeated, V has his full arsenal back and is able to escape Malthus's illusion and continue on his journey. He eventually finds Malthus, now riding a featherless bird-looking demon, looks kind of like a baby chicken, but big. Yeah, like a twisted, twisted turkey. Griffin, V's trusty bird pet, warns V that he is too weak to fight Malthus, but a stubborn V insists that whilst Griffin is correct, he has to continue forward. Luckily for V, Nero arrives soon afterwards. Cue flashback to Nero's journey to Malthus's arena. So the next level that we play through encompasses our ascent or descent, I'm not quite sure, through the Glyphoff tree. I've written ascent because we're going to the <laughs> summit, but it is going down. Yeah, yeah who knows? It's bizarre. Yeah, it's, it's tough. Uh, so we're playing as Nero through this mission. There isn't a great deal to talk about in terms of new enemies. It just, as I mentioned previously, they, the game starts at this point just chucking batches of enemies at you of varying types all at the same time. The challenge ramps up noticeably in terms of the fact that I was taking more hits, I would say, towards this sort of leg of the game. But I think based on the fact that I was playing on human difficulty, I never really came close to dying up until the very end. Ironically, I was the complete opposite. I got used to the controls in this time and uh, I was getting hit less. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Nero actually, as a playstyle, grew on me a little bit this week. It's still my least favourite character, but... I got more used to it. Yeah, familiarity uh, in this case didn't breed contempt. And actually, yeah, you got a little bit and more. And honestly, I know I've said it twice already, but the fact that I thought of this game as an anime rather than taking it seriously like I was last week really did change the perspective. Yeah, like, yeah. For me. These games are corny, man. Like, they are yeah, really corny. corny. Fuck, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. But um, the interesting thing about this level is there's two routes you can take. There's one route that is sort of heavily trapped, like there's loads of traps like spike pits and things that come out the wall at you and then the other route just has a lot more enemies a lot more fights i'm curious will which route did you pick um spiky trap route yeah the the kind of pulsing protruding spiky traps yeah i decided to go through there uh got knocked around quite a bit actually going through that but i think that was more just through me being stupid than anything yeah. Do you know initially i went that way but then i couldn't find a way past a certain bit Oh, okay, okay. Like, I wasn't dying, I just couldn't find the way. Right. So okay. I reset and I went the other way. Fine, fine. Yeah, very bizarre. Uh, and the other way, I think, is much easier. You get a lot of enemies chucked at you, but nothing too major, really. And eventually, the two routes actually do come together, and we get the same level, but again, it's just fighting through enemies. There's no boss in this level again, because this is essentially a flashback. Um, you know, we're on our way to potentially save V, if that's what's coming up, right? At this point, we're running out of bad guys to kill. So, having played through Nero's journey... Uh, we return to the present in Malthus's boss arena. Nero and Malthus face off, and Malthus taunts Nero, saying that he is only a human and won't have the strength to beat a demon. But the ever-cocky Nero is having none of it, and a fight ensues. Yeah, you really think Nero's going to take that lying down? No, he's, he's a f***ing stubborn bastard, very confident in his own abilities. He hates when they insult him, when they say he's just a human or he's dead weight. Oh, that really rustles his jimmies. It really does. Uh, cue the Malthus boss fight. I really liked this fight. Yes, this was a very good boss fight. The boss fights, I will say, in this game really step up towards the end. The cinematics of the boss fight, as well as just the techniques required to do them well, 
let's not forget this is a game that's all about style and doing stuff cleanly without getting hit and dodging stuff at the last second and all of this stuff and these boss fights feel like fantastic opportunities to practice all of those skills yeah i completely agree this one in particular the arena is a nice open area so you can move around a lot we're fighting malthus on this giant featherless bird as we've mentioned and this featherless bird kind of produces portals and it can sort of peck the air like on the other side of the arena from you but a portal will appear next to you and it can peck you yes yeah it's really cool you have to be really on your toes lots of jumping around lots of funny angles i think he also has a slight area of effect attack that you can do at some point it's really nifty and i do like the kind of weird bayonetta style of his uh special moves as you say using the portals is a really good way to keep you on your toes and never feel safe during the boss fight yeah exactly and um Whilst a lot of them are fairly well telegraphed, sometimes they can be very quick and just come at you like incredibly quickly, so your reactions need to be on point. But as with a lot of bosses in the early game particularly, it does have points where if you knock it about enough, it will just sort of lay prone on the floor and you can really wail on Malthus. Yes, yeah. Uh, when I say really well, I'm talking like a third of the health bar wail, which was good because when you're just attacking the bird normally, it's relatively tanky still takes damage but when you can just attack Malthus on its back it really makes you feel like you're you're winning the battle comfortably and in the end it was a comfortable victory for me at least but I had a lot of fun with this one it was just so fun to fight yeah this is just a really well designed cool looking and fun to fight boss there's uh really no more or less to say than it than that really yeah after vanquishing Malthus Nero tells a barely moving V to give up his pursuit and rest V denies his request, stating that he needs to press on for his final fight. Nero can see that he is not going to change V's mind, so he helps him up and basically carries him onward, saying that Dante will definitely beat them to Horizon now, as V is obviously slowing him down. At this point, we leave Nero and V to play through Dante's journey up, or perhaps down? The Clyphoff. Through the Clyphoff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, think I, I think I went with through last week, because it was... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's much easier, much less confusing, to be perfectly honest with you. And this was another mission that was... Uh, the mission itself was fairly nondescript, but the boss fight at the end of it was really f***ing cool, I thought. Another really strong boss fight, yeah, agreed. About the only thing to point out about the level design in this bit is that you do actually move into an icy sort of environment. Bit of a change of scenery. Nice change of pace, because a lot of it's been red and black. Yeah, you spend a lot of time going through hellscapes, and hey, I mean, I think we both like a good hellscape, but... I don't think either of us would want to play a game that is solely set in hell. There needs to be like a transition in or out at some point. Just for variation's sake. Yeah, shout-outs to Diablo. <laughs> you occasionally go to a creepy town or an old cellar or something <laughs> to That's get out true. of hell <laughs> every so often. Haunted woods. Something. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of green thrown in amongst the browns and the greys. Uh, but as we've mentioned, uh, the boss fight at the end of this level was really cool. It's a boss called King Cerberus, which is a three-headed elemental doggo. Yeah, if you didn't get that from the implication of the name. <laughs> uh, one fire, one ice, one electricity head. Um, I don't know if there was a gimmick to this fight. I know there was an achievement involved for making it obedient or something. I didn't get that. I don't know how, what that was about. Oh, okay. That's something that I missed as well. But uh, yeah, it was just quite fun. He has, obviously, whatever element he's using, he'll obviously attacking that element and when he switches up his heads he sort of does a massive area of effect attack you can see where it's going to go so you can run away from it but if you get caught in it you get exploded upwards and you take quite a bit of damage like significant damage by this point my health bar was huge 
So I was never really in any true peril. I, I too was playing on human difficulty. I think by this point I'd even gone into my second health bar. After a while they just give you the start of a second one. But again, this was just a really fun fight. The arena was a bit smaller. This was quite a big boss. Not, not as big as um, the Goliath, but still pretty big. And uh, it kind of charges at you, dashes around a bit. There's a lot of things to look out for. For anyone that's played Dark Souls 3, his, some of his movement kind of reminds me of Vord. Um, just how he charges at you. Um, probably also helped by the fact that Vord is a nice elemental attacker as well. But yeah, just a really cool fight this. And what's really nice about defeating this boss is you actually get a prize at the end of it. The boss kind of disintegrates and dissolves away and you're left with like this ice crystal that kind of descends slowly into your hands. And you're thinking, what the f*** is this, an ice crystal? Turns out it's a set of ice nunchucks. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That can morph into a fire staff. Complete with a Bruce Lee style recreation of swinging the nunchucks around and Bruce Lee noises as well. Yeah, because video games right once again this is really lending to my theory that uh dante is actually doing all of this stuff involuntarily as he picks up a weapon he's just got no control of his physical reaction it's the equivalent of taking a plasmid for the first time in bioshock and you kind of trip out on pulse with electricity or whatever this is just dante locked into a series of dance moves or a martial combat routine every time he touches something demon imbued yeah and while still effective it wasn't as funny as the hat yeah 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 is anything as funny as the hat really i mean that was such a great way to start but this is actually a staple of dante throughout the whole devil may cry series i mean in the earlier games he has a straight up electric guitar as a weapon so you can expect a full-on solo cutscene in one of the earlier games of course games. he does yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh it's just what he does <laughs> so anyway after beating king cerberus the naughty dog Dante uses his icy nunchuck flaming staff combo weapon to clear the way onwards. In typical DMC5 fashion, we now leave Dante and return to Nero and V, who are continuing their pursuit of Urizen. En route, V tells Nero that Urizen is not actually the demon's real name, and reveals that Urizen is in fact Dante's twin Virgil. So we obviously made this discovery last week, but this is all news to Nero. Continuing the flip-flop between characters, we once again return to Dante, who has reached Horizon first, of course, of course, Nero Dragon V's dusty ass along the Clyphoth. They meet in what appears to be the grounds of Dante and Virgil's old family home. Although, it turns out this is in fact an illusion created by the now-sprouting Clyphoth fruit. Urizen plucks the forbidden fruit from the tree and exclaims that this will give him the power needed to finally defeat Dante, and he just wolfs it down. Yeah, kind of looks like a blood apple. Yeah. You mentioned Code Vein last week, I like, and ironically this looked like the blood beads from Code Vein, honestly. Oh yeah. The kind of uh, like Christianic symbolism is all very much present in both of these games. Urizen turns to face Dante, with his tendrils and armour falling away, revealing several eyeballs underneath. Capcom doing Capcom things. Yeah. This is the most Resident Evil thing that this game did. I said exactly that on the stream, actually. I was thinking, yeah, this is the most biohazardy Resident Evil enemy that they've done in the whole game. Yeah, clearly inspired. But it is still, you know, very strong and uh, and powerful, though. I guess you could also compare it to some of the, uh, like, Old Testament imagery of angels as well. They're always depicted as having loads of eyes around them. Uh, and, and quite a few of the enemies, I think, in this game are actually inspired from that sort of thing, like old school biblical angels, which look more like demons with wings and eyes all over them. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's some cool shit. I can't say I have, no, but that does sound cool, yeah. And with all of this, it's time to face Horizon for the final time. Yes. The first two times he was pretty lethargic, sitting in his chair, 
stood up eventually. Yeah, yeah. Tentacle battle. This time, no tentacles. So, straight fight. Released of all his tentacles, he seems a lot more agile. I've got to say that much. Yeah, but a lot easier. Well, yeah, I mean, without the power of a Yamato shield that just constantly stops you from ever touching him. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Again, it's the game kind of depicting that your character's stronger, but I do agree this is a weird one because he eats the forbidden fruit, actively gets smaller, yet, I will say, more swole, but then he also does seem way easier to defeat. It's a much more realistic prospect. What I will say, though, uh, is I definitely went down during this fight and had to use one of my gold orbs to pick me up. Really? The fight. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I got silly with my moves, and uh, I was using my ultra devil form when I should have been using my regular devil form just to regain the health. There was just one point in the fight where I was like, ah, I can take him, and I didn't do enough damage in that ultra devil form mode. I should have gone to my lighter version just to have done more damage and healed but i went ballsy got greedy and uh got punished for it was that in the point in the fight where he starts spamming all of his attacks all at the same time <laughs> maybe i think so probably because in the previous fights he's sort of like he has one where it's just a, a purple beam that crosses the screen and you jump over it and he does various other attacks with projectiles in the air in this fight when he gets to probably two-thirds health gone he produces like two or three beams at the same time yeah, he spams right. all his area of effect attacks and you have to just jump around like a madman one cool thing that happened in this boss fight for me was that when i did activate my super devil power you'll remember what happens is that the spider devil sword comes flying through the air and plunges into dante's chest and then he kind of explodes into devil spider or ultra devil spider mode or whatever because he hit me with that temporal time distortion field that slows everything down inside it and I activated my power at just the same time I saw that whole thing play out in ultra slow motion and it was quite cool that's kind of dope yeah, yeah that's cool I strictly use normal devil form because I did get hit a bunch like I, I didn't die to it but I did get hit a bunch and I needed that health regen oh yeah absolutely yeah this is kind of there's acceptable levels of damage to take in this boss fight it's a little bit bullet heli not quite but a little bit oh it gets there yeah for sure the final third of the fight is quite bullet heli yeah but uh this was another really cool fight and i really liked the arena yeah i mean it was all an illusion but there was grass there was a blue sky it looked yeah. like you were just out and about in someone's garden it was nice yeah they packed some nice arenas into this game and they changed quite a bit from the beginning ones as well where you're not just going through a destroyed city yeah and the juxtaposition with this beautiful backdrop with uh big blue horizon covered in eyes and just being a general demon bully it was it was just quite cool cool visual and can we also say that the music in this game well for me at least fucking slaps some of it really did yeah i i personally liked most of the tracks in this game and i do like how each character very much has their own tone and style of music as well. I didn't notice that, funnily enough. Oh, yeah. Nero's kind of more like that electro poppy uh, with a little bit of, I guess, like maybe dubstep or drum and bass thrown in there with that Devil Trigger song. Uh, V's got a very kind of like emo slow song with a female vocalist, I think. And then Dante's just got basically metal, metal music, screechy metal music, <laughs> yeah. That was cool. They've obviously taken a lot of time and care over their character work in this. Some real good direction in this game. But after an epic battle, Dante is able to best Horizon, driving the Devil Sword Dante deep into the biggest of Horizon's new body eyes. The one right on his chest. As this is happening, Nero and V arrive. What is it with our allies always turning up just after the fight finishes? And it's really... <laughs> The whole thing, like every time. Fucking Nico and then these guys. Anyways. V slowly approaches Horizon. Uh, Dante tries to stop V from approaching, but V insists that he wants to deliver the final blow. Dante accepts and V continues his approach, slowly climbing atop the now prone Horizon. 
mustering the last of his energy because V really is in a bad way at this point heavy yeah. breathing disintegrating just basically death he plunges his cane into the horizon and a column of blue light engulfs the pair shattering the fruit solution in the process when the dust settles V and horizon are nowhere to be seen instead Standing in front of Dante and Nero is a now resurrected Virgil, brought back as his demon and human sides reunited. So I'm a touch familiar with Virgil, and I got to say that I really liked his design in Devil May Cry 5. Um, I, I think that they did a really good job of bringing him to life in this game. I thought that the voice acting was on point, and considering that he's a fairly serious guy and man of few words in a lot of ways... I think he's one of the best made characters in the game because I just think he nailed being a completely new yet familiar face to the game and all of the scenes with him in were just really badass. I was completely drawn in by everything that happened at this point afterwards. Yeah, I echo that sentiment except I have no previous. I didn't really know who he was. Yeah. I, I mean, I knew who he was but I didn't know what the character was about. Yeah. I agree, his voice was... It was kind of softly spoken but menacing. Mm, it was done mm. really well. And considering that in general I thought the voice acting for some of the characters was quite quite poor there's a bit we're literally just about to come on to that i thought could have been done so much better but i agree virgil was great and the way that this scene was shot it was delivered with enough gravitas that you were like okay this is a big deal the virgil is now back but will the overriding emotion for me in this was sadness because this means no more v <laughs> i knew at this point that i was never going to be able to use v again for the rest of the game and that was sad to me the story that was told with him was wicked like he, he is comfortably my favorite character of yeah. the playable yeah. ones at least and I was sad to see him go. I will say V was a very well-implemented character in this game. I really enjoyed playing through him as well because it was a complete breath of fresh air and entirely different to playing as the other characters, despite somehow having pretty much the exact same control scheme. All of the moves and timings for your things just felt really unique. Back to the story. Dante challenges Virgil to a final battle to end this once and for all. Virgil, of course, agrees, but says that this is not the place and promptly disappears heading over to the very top of the Clyphoff tree in preparation for the final showdown. Nero insists that he go with Dante to face Virgil, but Dante says that Nero shouldn't come with him because Virgil is, in fact, Nero's father. Shock. Horror. This was a wow. big revelation for me. I had me no too. idea. When it did Didn't happen, I was coming. thinking, do you know what? This makes perfect sense. I have always questioned what Nero's relationship is to Dante and Virgil. Because the demon sword Yamato resonated with Nero back in Devil May Cry 4 and became his devil arm, there was clearly confirmation there that the bloodline of Sparta was somehow with Nero as well. But to my knowledge, the game never revealed how that happened. So finally got an answer for that. And in a strange way, without it being Virgil's son, it could have only been Dante's son, which I think is very unlikely. I think they kind of suggested that wasn't going to be the case. So I was almost kicking myself for not having guess that all along it's, it's a weird one it's fantastic and surprising but also like damn i should have should have clocked that <laughs> yeah and once again from someone who's no experience in the franchise really uh, i didn't have a clue this was coming i thought it was a wicked reveal but as i mentioned you know not that long ago i thought that the way dante delivered this line was piss poor oh really <laughs> i thought it could have been done with a lot more like gravitas around it, a bit more emotion he kind of just goes yeah you can't fight me as your father i was like oh really mate such a class reveal and you're gonna throw it away like that <laughs> that never yeah i guess it never stuck out to me i mean he does shout it <laughs> yeah i don't know i i i guess if i went back and rewatched it maybe it would be different 
But I remember thinking at the time, like, oh, come on, mate. You could have done that better. Fair enough. I was so blindsided by the revelation that I think that that would have missed me. But what a revelation, though. I thought yeah. that was really cool. Also worth noting at this point, I think we do get another new weapon, uh, the rocket launcher. We do, yes. The Kalina Anne. Or was it, well, was it the Kalina Anne for you or was it the Kalina Anne 2? I think it was 2. Okay, fine, yeah. Because I think you mentioned last week you can actually find the original in another mission. I did, yes. I did find it. Which I didn't do. I, I didn't find it, so... I just got this one. So when you get it flashing up on the screen saying Kalina and 2, you press A again, and then I know you're a huge fan of this, James, and then follows up with another splash screen saying you've got the combined Kalina and 1 and 2 um, at that point. If you found it earlier on in the mission, and as I mentioned last week, it does give you the ability to dual-wield rocket launchers and fire a bunch of rockets, which is really fun. But my favourite thing to do in it is to get the upgrade where you basically jerry-rig one just on front of the other one, so it looks like you're holding like a long tube just a really long tube okay and you can fire a combined shot that starts with the first one and finishes with the one that's just been jerry-rigged onto the front of it and it creates like a laser beam hyperblast if you hold the fire triggers together and then shoot it it's cool that does sound cool i've got to say i did use this a little bit it was a little bit too slow firing for me and my playstyle. i think that you liked the shotgun the kalina and has more powerful effects than the shotgun, but is obviously much slower firing. Much slower, yeah. Funnily enough, I, I did use the shotgun a lot, but I also I switched in and out of Ebony and Ivory as well for a bit more pace in my combos. Yeah, it's good, yeah. You can keep up the meter a lot faster with that one. Yeah, exactly. But with that big revelation and new weapon aside, um, as a result of Urizen consuming the Clyfoth fruit before being defeated, the majority of the Clyfoth tree at this point is beginning to collapse. Nero begrudgingly agrees to escape with Nico, Lady, and Trish, whilst Dante continues to ascend the tree, or descend the tree, whatever the f*** he's doing, to face Virgil. And this next little mission I thought was quite cool. I'm surprised to hear you say that. This is the bit that I thought that you would actually have the hardest time with, just because of the context of what you have to do in this mission. <laughs> oh, it was emotional, but I thought it was really cool, <laughs> like, the way it came about and what we were doing. Yeah. So the first thing that was cool about this is that at this point, the Clyfoth tree has become white. So we've got a big old contrast. Going back to your angel theory earlier, we're now sort of doing the heaven and hell sort of visuals, which I thought was quite neat. And again, there's no real like mob enemies in this level that is worth talking about. But the gimmick of this level is that as you're fighting your way to Virgil, you're actually fighting these old pets along the way. So the first fight you have, I think, is with Shadow, the panther, as a miniboss. Eventually, you'll then fight Griffin, the bird, as a miniboss. And I can't remember if you fight them once or twice. I think you might fight one of them A couple times again. each, I think. Yeah. But they kind of run away halfway through. And I don't even think they have a health bar at that point. They just run away. Not necessarily. No, you just... They, they sort of become a ball at some point and you can get some good damage and then they just... They run off. Dante even kind of questions why they're throwing away their lives in this mission a little bit because he says they must understand that I'm obviously going to murder them. <laughs> yeah. Like, exactly. are they trying to repent for something or what? And uh, we never really get an answer on that. It just seems like uh, their main thing is that they just want to kill Dante of their own free will this time rather than V forcing them to do it. I assumed it was because V is Virgil that they just felt loyalty to Virgil, so they were just trying to slow down or weaken Dante. Well, you're absolutely right that they're connected to Virgil because they're actually embodiments of all of Virgil's different traumas and negative thoughts that he's had in his life. Oh, really? That's kind of how they came into existence, yeah. And when he separated his two forms, they also came into existence. Oh, I, I was not aware of that i must have missed that when that was explained that's cool though i guess it makes sense for nightmare <laughs> yeah exactly yeah right yeah 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 <laughs> but uh 
Yeah, speaking of Nightmare, Nightmare is in fact the final boss. And, and this was actually, it wasn't hard, I don't think, but it was very fun. Um, you start off by fighting just Nightmare, and then after a certain amount of health has been taken off him, Griffin and Shadow come back. That's right. And you're sort of doing a three-on-one. I think Nightmare actually disappears at this point as well, so you just have to fight Griffin and Shadow for a bit. Then Nightmare comes back and you're fighting all three of them, and Nightmare's the one that you have to kill for it to end. Mm. And uh, it was just emotional, mate. I felt sad. Killed all your good buds. Yeah. It was just very, it was upsetting, but it had to be done. They, were, they weren't themselves anymore. <laughs> You're not of sound mind, therefore, meet the blade. Mate, they just had like lazy traits, so I just yeah. had to get rid of them. <laughs> so eventually we defeat Nightmare, and afterwards Dante reaches the summit of the Clyphoth and faces off with Virgil. Demon Sword Dante versus Yamato. Brother versus brother. Let's get it on, baby. And this is kind of one of those brother versus brother, their fight will go on for eternity type of... <laughs> scenarios yeah literally the most anime thing you've ever seen in your life yeah 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 like they almost like smile at each other before the fight yeah they're like you know what's gonna happen (laughs) again this was a wonderful arena i really liked it the backdrop of like just bits of clyphoth that had all become white but there was still red blood sort of strewn around blue lights everywhere really angelic feeling thing and there was a nice contrast with the characters as well because dante obviously represents the demons and like when he transforms he's an orange red demon and virgil is also a demon but he's blue and yeah it's kind of like the heaven versus hell thing like yeah yin versus yang like an evil angel versus a good demon <laughs> exactly and uh virgil is a tough boy he is he kind of obviously yamato's a samurai sword so he's got all of that going on he kind of sends bursts of like sword blades at you in threes that you have to jump around and avoid he can charge at you he's sort of can block loads of your attacks which is really irritating and he does switch in between his demon modes during that boss fight as well so you've almost got to kind of keep pace with him and if he turns into his you might just want to respond to that by turning into yours yeah i I, when he turned into his i just sort of uh, i went into avoid mode right yeah yeah stand back and poke instead yeah i i didn't die to this fight because i quit and reset because there's an achievement for doing last two missions without getting a continue ah right but i essentially did lose to him because i didn't know his moveset and i was just getting fucked i was like how is this guy so quick how's he blocking everything i do my usual complaint when i'm mad that i can't beat something (laughs) man i I get staggered by all his attacks why do my attacks not stagger him (laughs) always say you can guarantee dark souls any game i'll say that at some point but this was tough it was fun tough but once you learn the moveset and you know what to avoid and when to jump and when to sort of do your thing it wasn't too bad that's the thing with this game is it's it's don't take this the wrong way, but there is the Sekiro elements in terms of there are some moves that will take you by surprise what the best counter is for. Like jumping away can sometimes be the best counter rather than rolling or doing your dodge. To jump is actually the best thing to do because you at least stay in the same area. So when you hit the ground, so there's a lot to be learned from just experimenting with different ways of moving around the game in this one. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, as I say, it's, it's totally not like Sekiro in terms of the core of the combat. But there is a real satisfaction in figuring out what's your best response to different counters and different moves, because it's not always going to be the same thing. No, exactly. And the move that I thought really helped in this for me is you can unlock a move, I forget what it's called, but basically where you hold down forward and press 
Y for your oh a stinger, attack. just a stinger move. Stinger is that what it's called? Yeah, I think that's what it's called. And you sort of you dash towards the enemy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to level that up straight away. That is the first move you need to get in the whole game, really. Yeah, and that was so handy in this fight because what I was finding was a very effective technique was jump over Virgil, kind of let him do his thing, and then do stinger into his back. And that would sort of stagger him enough times that you could get four or five hits in and then he'd sort of explode away a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, you'd have yeah. to start fighting again. But I found that was just a great way to keep up the aggression because eventually you know he's going to transform and you know that you're going to have to just not do... Or at least I knew that I would just have to be like, right, I'm just going to run away and avoid you for a bit. When you charge at me, I'm jumping over you and getting away. Yeah. Did you have a similar sort of tactics or were you sort of a bit more aggressive with it? I was a bit more aggressive, but it did cost me another revive orb. Uh, in this boss fight again um, yeah just that aggressive vibe I think I did actually use my lesser devil ability in this one to actually regain some health at various points but it still wasn't enough he was a tough boss fight I did it with that revive so I never really got the chance to I guess fully learn the boss but he was definitely hard enough and fun enough that I can definitely see myself replaying that level a couple of times to actually get good at fighting him because he's a really satisfying one to fight yeah it is and, it, and you really do get the sort of I've said it enough in this episode but you do get the gravitas of it brother versus brother like final showdown it really felt like it was a final showdown unstoppable force meets a movable object type shit. yeah really cool stuff this but after an epic battle, Dante and Virgil face off once more. Another sort of anime section there. Yeah, yeah. They both transform into their demon forms and begin running at each other in the, in the most anime fashion possible, as I said. This is like a proper hero clash type moment. Yeah, the only thing that was missing was them both going, Ah! Yeah. <laughs> As they're about to collide, there is a flash of blue light and an unknown demon appears between them, holding them apart at arm's length. They say an unknown demon. I clocked this guy straight away. So did I. I knew exactly who it was straight away. <laughs> but before we get onto that, we have another flashback to Nero running down the collapsing Clyphoff in pursuit of Nico's van. He briefly joins Nico, Lady, and Trish in the van as they are escaping, but is frustrated and confused that Virgil has been revealed as his father. Trish tries to convince him to forget about it, as he would never be able to live with himself if he killed his own father. But Nero, stubborn as ever, ends up leaving the van to fight against Virgil. And what I particularly enjoyed about this bit was Trish is like, oh yeah, I kind of knew. I had a hunch that he was your dad. I just didn't tell you. Like, thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I'd be a little bit careful about admitting that to Nero. To be fair, Trish and Lady were banter. We have one final flashback of Nero talking to his girlfriend, Kirie, on one of the omnipresent payphones scattered throughout the Clyphoff. The lovers have a brief heart-to-heart -heart before Nero runs towards the summit of the Clyphoff to join the fight. As he is running, he uses his suddenly discovered demon powers to regrow his missing arm and teleport to the boss arena. That would have been really fucking handy earlier in the game, won't lie. This is one of those moments that, uh, like, the pressure of the situation activates their innate, like, ferocious force. And just through sheer will, Nero explodes into his demon form due to the anger at his dick of a dad and his bastard of an uncle constantly fighting. I think that's his main thing at this point, isn't it? That's the only thing I think is he's just so fucking fed up of this endless battle between the two brothers. It's just infuriated him to the point that he bursts into a demon. Yeah, and he's like, I finally got a family. I finally know who I am and they're about to kill each other. Awesome. I'm going to stop this. And as a result, he actually ends up uh, in the scene that we previously described, holding Dante and Virgil apart in demon form. Dante tries to talk Nero out of whatever he's planning to do, but Nero, now sporting ethereal demon arms protruding from his shoulder blades, explains that he doesn't want either of them to die. 
Dante still tries to stop Nero despite this, and one of Nero's shoulder arms punches Dante in the face. Yeah, it's like a backhand. It's so funny, this. Dante's just like writhing on the floor like, ah, oh, motherfucker, you hit me. And Dante eventually concedes to Nero, saying that he's going to have a little rest after the punch, which was a great line. Love I think we this. rocked him. <laughs> that yeah, it was really funny. He like, says that and then just sort of passes out. But this leaves Nero to face off against Virgil, his dad. So we actually get round two of the Virgil fight. Because Virgil's moveset doesn't change really here. Not really. Nero's, however. No more Devil Breakers. We can't use them because we've got our regular old arm back. Exactly. But we do get transformation mode. So now Nero also gets Devil Trigger. <laughs> exactly. It's kind of basically he becomes basically Dante, but with Nero's sword moves. Yeah. I think it's the best way to describe it. With two giant demon punching arms that he can also use that are wrapped around his shoulders. And I actually like... It is Demon Nero, but I actually, in my mind, refer to it as Angel Nero because he feels like he's like the good one. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. He also doesn't have that kind of weird demon-shaped exterior and armour. He looks much more human in his demon form than Dante or Virgil do. Yeah, and he has the most emo hairstyle. Yeah, yes. Fucking Jesus. It's so tropey, but I love it. And because... For me, at least, I kind of knew the Virgil fight at this point. As I say, I'd quote-unquote died to it the first time, did it a second time, and this was now a third time. I didn't struggle with this as Nero, but from a story perspective, I thought this was class. Very cool. This also led to one of, for me, the funniest points in the game. I, I genuinely burst out laughing when this happened. But the first time you activate your devil power, rather than doing your signature devil transformation, you just scream, fuck you, at Virgil, and oh, flip yeah. him off. And that just, to me, came so out of the blue. I mean, Nero's been more on the profane side for a while but it just felt like it came out of nowhere in this game because it's not like a very sweary game really is it not really no maybe the odd shit but like nothing crazy yeah it was yeah just really funny just a random profane moment out there that really cracks me up i gotta say <laughs> just so pissed off at virgil just flipping off virgil as well is just to me just such a stupid funny thing to do fuck you dad <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know it just got me and uh, it goes without saying, I, I agree pretty much with everything that you said there. This was a really fun boss fight. Um, really nice scenery around. Very cool to check out some of Nero's powers. Just, again, a continuous feeling throughout this whole game is I just want more playtime in the levels so I get to play with these weapons. I get the story context and the reason why they showed it at the very end. But at the same time, I really want to just take it through the whole game now, <laughs> I gotta say. Well, it's there for you. Another three levels of difficulty. Oh, yes. And unlike Mass Effect 3, an actual fucking final boss fight that was worth something. Yeah, very satisfying. Both from like a combat perspective, because as you say, at that point, you're pretty good at countering him, but also just really satisfying and cinematic. Yeah, really cool. But with Virgil now defeated, but not killed, the game ends and we are treated to a couple of bonus fights while the credits roll. And I did think at first that this was quite an interesting way to do the game. I was worried at first that it was going to be quite anticlimactic, but after getting to the very final scene, I was actually really pleased with how it played out. Yeah, I agree. In the first, we play as Nero, taking out an assortment of the various demon mobs we have fought throughout the game. As the fight draws to a close, we see the remnants of the Clyphoff tree finally collapsing, signalling the end of the story. Except we have one final time skip first. Whilst some more credits roll, we get to control Dante once more as he fights various demons at the base of the Clyphoff tree alongside Virgil. They're at the base of the tree to cut it down and make it disappear once and for all. And this is quite neat because you get a sort of little versus moment. You and Virgil are both all fighting demons and there's like they have little lines back and forth where it's like, motherfucker, I'm killed more than you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just arguing brothers. And the cutscenes around this section are quite funny as well because they really are just arguing. <laughs> 
Exactly. It's very, very anime once again, but very, very cool. There's also an achievement if you defeat more uh, demons than Virgil, which I quite liked. The story finally draws to a close with a couple more cutscenes. Firstly, and a very, very funny cutscene to me, Trish and Lady celebrate their victory, the team's victory, back at Devil May Cry, Dante's repair shop, uh, just munching on some pizza, looking really cheesy and nice. They're joined by Morrison, uh, who tells them that he was given the deed to the place by Dante before the mission started, and that he has a job for them in a fairly comedic scene, where they sort of ask him, how did you get the deed to this place? And he's like, well... Clever little devil came to see me right before his last job. Said something like, my dearest friend, I know you'll keep this safe because them crazy bitches... Did I say crazy bitches? I'm sorry, I meant ladies. But the very final shot we see is Dante and Virgil fighting once more. Although it is in good spirits, it seems that brotherly love has shone through. They're just fighting just for a laugh, just to practice. Some more demons appear and they kill them later, so very touching. <laughs> touching. Of course, Such kind an of. emotional moment. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, brotherly love shines through, and it seems that everyone will live happily ever after. And that, dear listeners, brings us to the end of Devil May Cry 5. And I've got to say, Will, I said last week that I didn't like this game. I wasn't enjoying it. I think overall that's probably still the case. I'm not, I'm not sure I'd rush back to play this again. But genuinely, the fact that you said, think of this more like an anime rather than serious game, changed my mindset on it enough. That with the fact that I got more used to it, I think all of those things combining together just made me sort of enjoy this second half a lot more. The story really came out a bit more as well. Yes, yeah. I really like the twist of Nero being uh, Virgil's kid. And um, yeah, I just had a lot more fun with it this week. How did you find it overall now that we've finished it? Uh, I went into this expecting to have a good time and just enjoy fighting my way through a Devil May Cry game. What I didn't expect was to have a good a time as I actually had playing through this game. Because there were so many moments where my jaw hit the floor because it was some sort of crazy weapon like the Cavalier motorbike greatswords or just moments like the Michael Jackson dance scene. That cutscene is goaded. Like that cutscene is f***ing goaded. It is. It is. Nero screaming f*** you at his dad was also pretty funny. And also I liked the arguing and relationship between uh, Nico and Nero as well. So there were just a whole bunch of good characters in this game. Even though I wasn't super familiar with the Devil May Cry source material, I still felt like it did a good job of paying homage to those games. They brought a lot of cool characters in and realised them in cool modern ways as well. I really don't have a whole lot of bad stuff to say about this game, other than the fact that I just wish it was a little longer in terms of giving me more opportunities the first time through to use a lot of my powers and things like that. But as we mentioned earlier, this is a very much a type of game where you're supposed to complete it multiple times. This game is meant to be played through at least four times. There's also a mode you unlock by finishing the game called The Blood Palace, which I believe is a DLC thing that That's right. I assume is a survival mode of some description. I've not tried yep. it just arenas you know if you want to get that fix of just fighting enemy after enemy that's the way to learn their moves properly is just go in an arena of never-ending enemies and maybe that's a great way for you to go in and experiment with all these weapons and stuff because i don't think you lose your shit. so again that that really lends to that idea that you're supposed to do this multiple times is they don't care if you're going to be overpowered you're just going to have more fun playing through the game a second time you know it's not so much about uh making sure it's going to be a hard experience the next time they just want you to have fun it feels like oh yeah for sure and i think the hardest difficulty mode heaven and hell or something it's called you one shot everything but everything one shots you oh really that's a cool idea yeah so that could just lead to some hilarious things and also some frustration i imagine 100 percent. yeah you've got to be good at dodging and 
predicting enemy attacks in that mode. Sounds cool, though. It does sound cool. So I think overall, I've got to say, this game won back a bit this week. I have a lot more love for it than I did have. I'm still not sure if I'm going to rush out and play any of the other games in the franchise. I don't know if I'll play this again anytime soon, but I do see a world in which I do go back to this at some point. Whereas last week, I wouldn't have seen that. No, yeah, definitely not from your, your take on it last week, for sure. I still think the item thing is egregious. But I wasn't picking up as many new stuff this week, so it didn't really affect me that much. <laughs> so yeah, there we have it. So that brings us to the end of the show. If you've enjoyed what you've listened to, you can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pod Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthroughs, stream highlights, as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode. You can also find us on X by searching for at Total Pod Mode, all one word. Or you can find me at Hoodafunk on X, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Hoodafunk. And you can find me on X at Mr. Bames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv tv forward slash mr bames underscore tpm and if you'd like to see uh how will got on during his playthrough of this game in its entirety you can go check out his twitch page i believe it's also is it on the youtube it will be on the youtube by the time this recording comes out james don't you worry <laughs> so yeah go check that out and uh whilst you're there drop us a subscribe like the video share the video with your friends why not rate us five stars on spotify apple Podcasts, or those platforms mentioned previously hey why not it's not like we don't deserve it but on that lovely piece of self-promotion we do come to the end of the show we'll see you next week everyone take care goodbye bye now